0: Have your Bibles with you. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 9, the word of our Lord from the gospel says, on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some f- seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. When we approach the parables in the Gospels, we find them in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, We would do ourselves well to remember the text that we're dealing with. Parables are not allegories. We're used to reading allegories Um, as people living in modern times, we're we're used to those stories where every single part has a meaning. Every single word has a significance and everything means something. But parables were used in the ancient world and they're very different than allegories. Not absolutely everything is, is equal to some other thing. Parables were metaphorical stories. They're stories that are... That, that give us an illusion, they, they give us um, some an image, something to, to latch on to so that we can remember them. They were used by rabbis because you've got to remember you're dealing with a world before the printing press and you're dealing with a world that that passed on its tradition typically in an oral manner. So they would share stories. And these were very vivid stories. They were memorable stories. Notice even the numbers that Jesus chooses. A hundred, sixty, and thirty. He doesn't mention ninety-eight, fifty-six, and twenty-nine. You know, those are... Numbers would be a little bit more difficult to, to remember. But 160, 30, okay, anybody can latch onto that. It's something that's very easy to remember. We approach the parables in the Gospels and we, we read about a woman who's lost a button. You know, the hardest button to button is the button you can't find. Weezer. Um, we, we read about a, a, a farmer who's going and casting seed. To plant crops. We read these very vivid, very imaginative stories. Stories that are able to latch on to our minds. Or better yet, that our minds are able to latch on to. If we would but hear and listen. They illustrate a point. They're used for teaching. And they're used for the sake of memory. So that the rabbis, disciples could easily remember what they were and what they meant. Jesus tells us what this parable means a few verses later after he gives the reason for his using parables in his teaching. He tells them, okay, well, let's go back to that story of the sower and the seed that he's casting. And he tells them what they represent. One of the dangers that we run into if we think of parables as allegory is we start thinking, okay, well, if he said this then that must mean that. And if he said that, then that must also mean this. And we start to draw these conclusions that just aren't there and weren't intended to be there. We run the risk when we read this parable of slipping into what's called fatalism. You know what fate is? Fate is a romantically popular idea. It's what all of the, the, the sweet love stories are about. I'm... Quickly, quickly, walking my way through a sitcom right now that's very popular, and I've, I've, uh, I, I'm terrible about that. I, I don't ever watch the shows while they're being popular. I wait till they're done, and then I go and watch them for free. Um, but I'm plowing through one, and it's obsessed with this idea of destiny, this idea of fate, this idea of all things are have a purpose, and everything is draw. The universe is kind of drawing me toward something. That's fatalism. And that's a romantic idea, but that's not a biblical idea. That's not, that's not what we find when we approach the scriptures. Uh, fate is the stuff of pop music. To go way on back in the world of pop music, you think of the song, K Sarah Sera. What does that mean? Whatever will be, will be. That's fate. That's not biblical faith. That's not... What the scriptures call us to, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen and there's nothing we can do about it. That's not what God says in the scriptures. It's the stuff of popular sitcoms. It's the stuff of romantic comedy movies. You know, we call them chick flicks. They're all about fate. They're all about destiny and what's going to happen and what's bound to happen. And what the world is kind of bringing to pass for us and if we can just be in the right place at the right time we'll finally fulfill that destiny the biblical view is that even in the surest of judgment think back to your old testaments even when judgment is absolutely unavoidable Yahweh tells Israel but if you'll but repent there's still a chance Wait a minute, I thought it was absolutely certain. I thought Babylon was standing outside the gates of Jerusalem and Jeremiah saying, it's over, hang it up. You're going into exile. But Yahweh says, if you will but turn, perhaps I will relent. The biblical view is that there's possibility. There's opportunity. So if you find yourself thinking, man, that that one sort of soil that's being talked about here, that that resonates with me. I'm afraid I might be that. The response is not to hang it all up and say, well, that's fate for you. I guess my destiny is to be that, that rocky soil. It's what I've always been. It's what I forever will be. The Scriptures invite us to lend an ear, to hear the word of God, to respond to it. When we encounter parables like this one in the Gospels, we are reminded that the spiritual life is often, often compared to a plant, the life of a plant. One of the things that that teaches us or that brings to our minds is this idea that growth is natural. There's something wrong with the plant if it ain't growing. Bill knows all about this, and Home Depot knows that Bill knows all about this because he hangs onto his Home Depot receipts, and without fail, when the season ends, he takes that plant, grabs that receipt, and goes back and says, it's dead. <laughs> it, it's so bad. It's so bad. I don't remember how many plants, but it was like four or six plants or something. He just took pots of dirt, and they said, it's just dirt. He said, exactly, it was a plant. <laughs> You know, growth growth is natural. Things that are intended to grow are supposed to grow. When conditions are right, it should happen. You know, you plant the plant in the ground. If the soil is right, it ought to grow. If you water it correctly, it ought to grow. If it's got enough sunlight, whether it's full-on all-day sunlight or whether it's partial sunlight or whether it's indirect sunlight, it ought to grow if the conditions are right. We, as, as, as people that God has planted the seeds of the gospel in, we ought to grow if but we'll have the right conditions. And that's really what this parable is about. The conditions of the soul. The soil of the soul. All those conditions come into play. The soil, the weather, the water, the sunlight, the prep work. Did you dig a deep enough hole to get this plant and its roots covered? The maintenance. Did you prune? Did you care for this thing? Did you just dump it in the ground and assume it was going to grow? Because growth is natural, right? Well, growth is natural, but growth takes work. Growth might be natural, but it's not mechanical. Life is not a machine. Life is an organic Organism, plants, persons, relationships, they take work. They don't just happen mechanically. They are not machines. You know, we get infuriated with our politicians because we think, you said you're going to do this, we elected you to do this, and you didn't do this. What in the world's wrong? Well, we forget, we're dealing with persons. We're dealing with people who break promises, we're dealing with people who are shady, we're dealing with people who sometimes have divided hearts, divided loyalties. It doesn't just happen mechanically. We don't just mechanically make good on our promises. We must work to make good on our promises. Growth takes work. It takes work in the ground. It takes work in casting the seed. It takes work in providing the right light, the proper amount of water, appropriate pruning. Growth takes work. Jesus. In sharing this parable with his disciples, he lays out four conditions. And these conditions are kind of like the soil of the soul that receives the gospel. If the gospel has been planted into a life, there is a variety of conditions of that life into which the gospel has been planted. Not everyone responds the same way because not every soul has the same conditions as the soul next to it. He lays out four responses, four conditions, and the first is the wayside. You know, that's the, the path kind of along the road. Yeah, it's, it's dirt, yeah, there could be some growth there, but it's pressed down, it's hard ground, it's the wayside. He said some of the seed is cast and lands along the wayside, and the birds swoop down, pluck it up, and it's gone. The seed really wasn't even given an opportunity to to germinate, to get down into the dirt, to be watered. These are those he he later explains in verses uh, 18 through 23. He says that the the seed that falls on the wayside, it's representing those who hear the gospel and have no understanding, there's no change in their life. We would describe it as it's kind of in one ear and out the other. Like, apparently you didn't hear me. These are those in, in our world, typically you hear it in this, in this statement. Okay, if it works for you, but it's not for me. You probably have friends and family in your lives that you've thought, there's like no response at all to the gospel. They've got no interest in church. They're, they know you go to church, but and they're fine with that. Perhaps they're not even hostile to the gospel. It's just not for them, they don't think. That's good for you. (coughs) That's the seed that doesn't have any opportunity to become a plant because there's zero response, zero understanding, zero change. It's just in one ear and out the other. Jesus says there's some seed though that falls on the rocky ground and it springs up very quickly. These are those who have a basic level of understanding. They they hear the gospel, they kind of get it. They get really excited about it initially. They spring up. Oh man, that's amazing. That's great news. John Wesley would probably have called these those who have been awakened. They heard the gospel. They understood it to some measure. They responded, but then really there's nothing. They have no depth. Life becomes too difficult. It's too much. In John's account of the gospel, we read of Jesus teaching the the multitudes. He's just fed them the day prior. He's walked across the water, gotten to the other side. They are looking for him. He didn't get in the boat with the disciples. What in the world? Where is he? He's not here. Say, so go around the lake to where the disciples went, and they say, "Oh, there he is." Well, how the Lord did you get here? You weren't in the boat with the disciples. And he redirects their train of thought and begins talking to them. And he goes through this long discourse of, "You've you've sought me not because." not because of the miracles that I've done, not just because you've seen the signs, but you actually ate those loaves and your bodies were filled. Your stomach stopped rumbling and so you've been awakened and you're wondering, what's with this guy that the people are calling rabbi? It goes on to tell us that as he continues teaching, some of them shake their heads and say, this is crazy. This is too difficult. He's, he's asking us to believe too much. And they leave. John 6 verse 66. Ooh. Don't go all pagan on me thinking there's something creepy about that. The verses weren't there originally. The chapters weren't even there originally. But many, many, many left because they said this is just too much. It's too difficult. And ask too much of me. There's an initial response. Initial excitement. These are those that they go to camp. They get excited. They get fired up. God has shaken their lives to the core. They've been awakened. They've responded. They've probably even cried at an altar. They've poured out their hearts to God. And then within six weeks, they're as cold and dead as ever before. Because there's no depth. There's no roots there 's no room for the roots to get down because the rocks of the life those things they can 't get past the difficulties what 's this going to mean for me and my my friends what 's this going to mean for me and the things that I like to do in life Jesus says there's a third type of ground there's Seed that lands on ground that's filled with thorns. And those thorns, as the gospel's growing, as that seed's germinating, as that plant is trying to spring up, the thorns are also growing. He says that those thorns are the worldly cares of life. The love of riches. The love of living life to its fullness. The love of making the best of what we've got. That mindset of, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. So live life to the fullest now. These are those, the text leads us to believe, who, who they, a plant is produced and that plant is living on. The thorns don't choke out the plant as quickly as the rocks do. Perhaps this is someone who's followed Christ for a number of years. Paul tells us about one such friend. He called him Demas. His name was Demas. You can look him up in your New Testament. You find him in three of Paul's letters. Two of them, Paul t- says that, uh, that Demas is right there with him. Demas and Luke. Demas and Luke. Right there with him. Helping. Partners in the Gospel. And then perhaps Paul's last letter that he wrote, 2 Timothy. Paul says, even Demas has forsaken me. For he loved this world too much. Could you imagine being that guy? Mentioned by name in Paul's canonical epistles. Your name is in the Bible. And then the last time that name is mentioned, it's in connection to you forsaking The apostle. Because you wanted to live life to the fullness. Perhaps we hear it in the voice that says. I've given enough. And what's that gotten me? I've lived faithfully for Jesus all these years. And what's that gotten me? I have sacrificed. I have given I have surrendered over and over again. I've been to the mission field. I've served years and years on foreign soil. I've raised a family there. And what's that gotten me? This is ridiculous. I'm going to live for myself for a little while. That happens. There are some in this congregation that knows the names and faces of people who've said those very things. The thorns of life grow up along with the gospel and begin to choke out the seed. But Jesus says there's also the good ground. The ground that the seed lands upon And that seed works its way down into the soil. It's cared for. It's nourished. It germinates. It produces a plant. It bears fruit. And sometimes it's a ton of fruit. Sometimes it's just a little bit of fruit, but it bears fruit. Jesus said, this is the one who hears the word, who hears the good news, hears the gospel. He understands it. And his life begins to bear fruit. And we can get caught up in, well, what does that 100 represent? What does that 60 represent? What does that 30 represent? That's all speculative. Again, this is not allegory. This is a parable. What we're intended to understand is that sometimes it's a ton of fruit and sometimes it's not so much. But the fact is, this plant is rooted and grounded. It is growing and it is producing. This is the one who says, I am all yours, Lord, every ounce of me. And if that's not the constant and steady cry of our hearts, each and every day that we live, we run the risk because we're not fatalists. We run the risk of no longer being that good ground. We run the risk of perhaps becoming the thorny ground perhaps becoming the stony ground. I'm all yours, Lord. Every ounce. That must be the cry of our hearts not just the day that we give our lives to Jesus, not just the day where we have some deep and significant spiritual breakthrough, not even the day where we say, Lord, I've held some back, but I'm giving you every bit of who I am. I'm surrendering entirely and completely. That must be the cry of our hearts even, even after we've lived for Christ years and years and years Because the soul can always become enclosed again upon itself. God wants to make this the cry of our hearts complete and utter surrender. Without wavering, without equivocation, without qualifying it. Lord, every bit of me, it's yours. Jesus says. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I love that because it sounds so weird, you know, he who has ears to hear. What is it? It's it's an ancient idiom. It's It's an idiomatic expression. Basically, if you're able and willing to listen, you'd better listen. But it's also an opportune invitation. It's not just something that's dated and old. It's not something that's just uh, resigned to that New Testament world. And it's not just something that's resigned to the day we gave our lives to the Lord. It's something that He is constantly calling out to to us. If you will but listen. If you would but open your ears. It invites us. We are not predetermined. We are not fixed in the cloud somewhere. We are not unchangeable. I'm reminded not just of Demas and his tragic, uh, what seems like a a tragic story that is left untold in the New Testament, but I'm reminded also of Mark and what seems like come of a... If you got tragedy, you got to have a comedy. Um, Mark, you remember, was was one of the... uh, Earlier, one of the earlier partners with Paul in his missionary journeys. And Barnabas and Paul, they were partners in missionary journeys and Mark decided he was going to go do something else and Paul and Barnabas started fighting over it because Paul said, fine, if he's going to go do that, he's done. He's out of here. And Barnabas wanted to, come on, let's bring Mark back. We can bring him back. Paul and Barnabas ended up splitting uh, over it. But... Also in um, in Second Timothy, perhaps Paul's last letter written, he tells us not just that Demas has left, but he tells Timothy, he says, "Please come quickly, and when you come, please bring Mark. I need him." Mark's story was not final; it was not fixed; it was not fated. It was not determined. He was not a lost cause. Sometimes we look at others and we think, man, they're never going to get it. They're never going to get life together. They're never going to work this thing out. They are never, ever. We have prayed and talked and counseled for years and years and years and they're just a lost cause. There are no lost causes in the scriptures. Many of you have probably heard uh, that Lindsay and I have determined a name for, the, for this child that we're expecting. His name is going to be, those of you who haven't heard, his name is going to be Peregrine Thaddeus. Thaddeus, his middle name, is the. he's one of the disciples, one of the twelve disciples that Jesus called. Thaddeus is the patron saint, Rick, of lost causes. Kind of neat. Jesus crying out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It may sound odd, but that's His cry to us. As He invites us, respond. As He invites us, hear what I'm saying. Open your ears. Open then uh, we're invited to echo the words of uh, of that politician from generation, uh, a couple of generations ago. I'm all ears, Lord. I think it was George H. W. Bush. I'm all ears. Are we all ears? What is the response of our lives? Are we going to bear fruit for the gospel? Are we going to just kind of get excited and then fall by the wayside? Are we going to become bitter because of the thorns of life and all the other things that we could be doing with our time and our energy and our money? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray.